What is the best way to advertise fun? What kinds of objects are specifically designed to match the energy of the company they advertise? In this episode, we will discuss a printing block that led me to hear the stories of a 70-year-old family circus. And my daddy said, if I'd have stayed in central Georgia, he said I would have starved. And the printing company that advertised their moving shows for decades. You have to sign your life away for these things, but I really didn't care. After this. Welcome to Object Obscura. This is the Historical Investigative Podcast about people, objects, and their stories. I'm your host, Thatcher Warakess. Episode 6, Print, Performer, Pittsburgh. Up on a shelf, pushed deep into the armoire of a Tucson antique shop, were backwards letters and a smiling face. It shined in the right lighting, as if the top layer was adorned in some kind of metal. I picked it up, and I realized it was a printing block. So it's like a giant stamp. It was pretty heavy. There was a cut wood base that kept the front design together. It's about the size of a shoebox lid, but with solid wood, with that carved layer of the metal on top. The letters and the man's face depicted on this block were all backwards, so that when printed, it could be read in the correct direction. I could read, The Great James H. Drew. It's positioned horizontally, where the words appear over the man's left shoulder, as if he is saying them in a speech bubble. That man's face on the side was indeed a clown, wearing a top hat but with no nose. I was curious to find James H. Drew and see what this block was all about. Could you just state your name, what you do, and why we're talking here now? Uh, Jimmy Drew, and uh, we operate uh, amusement rides, the traveling show, at fairs in the Southeast and the Midwest. This is Jimmy Drew III, the son of the James A. Chu Jr. mentioned on the printing block. In my years of looking at objects, this one was the easiest to find because the business is still in operation. Well, the company has been in business since 1948. My family is still involved, you know, my son, and, but we're still here and we still work hard. And, and it is very hard work. Their business as a moving exposition is to bring rides, games, people, and shows to certain fairgrounds across the U.S. A good year for them is moving the exposition around to 10 different cities in seven southeast states between Georgia and Indiana. But it wasn't like this when his parents first started it in 1948. His father, James H. Drew Jr., was actually in the circus business since 1931. And shortly thereafter, he met Eula, Jimmy's mother and they were doing circus events as a couple. The way they started in the 30s, and my mother and my father both 
they said in the Depression, my mother was in North Carolina and my father was in Central Georgia. And my daddy said, if I'd have stayed in Central Georgia, he said, I would have starved. It is hard to imagine James and Eula hustling as performers during the Great Depression. Being in the circus when money and attendance was short is a testament to his parents' dedication. I found a 1981 newspaper with an interesting headline. Women's career has gone from dancing to clowns. It was a whole article about his mother, Eula. After moving to Wilmington, North Carolina, she saw that a carnival was in town and looked for a job. She signed up as a dancer, doing fan and tap dancing. Then, she met James H. Drew a few months later, got married in 1940, had Jimmy along with a daughter, and then they had their first exposition in the summer of 1948 in Augusta, Georgia. It wasn't until Jimmy got a little bit older to appreciate the business his parents had created. When I'd get out of school, I used to stay with my grandparents in Waynesboro, Georgia, and I would uh, uh, leave as soon as school would go be out, and I would go on the road and work all summer. This is in the mid-50s, in that sticky Georgia heat. But these first jobs he did were the most important. When I was younger, I used to take those little lightweight kitty rides and pony cart rides, and I'd put them together and uh, make sure they were all safe, and, and then I'd work on lights, and I worked on lights and kept every light burning on fairgrounds for years, you know. Jimmy, who was now 75, was born in 1945, just a couple years before the family business started in 48. And right from the beginning, they used print advertising. They not only hired printing companies, but painters and illustrators throughout the years. We had two of the greatest artists work for us, and one was W.O. Burke. The other one uh, was Bobby Wicks. Bobby Wicks was a very colorful character. This is the same Bobby Wicks, who was a tattoo artist and carnival painter from Coney Island since the 1910s. In some later newspaper articles, after Jimmy became the company manager in the 1980s, they prominently displayed these artists' work. The 80s, however, weren't the happiest decade for the Drews. In 1984, Jimmy's father, James, had an unexpected heart attack and passed away. Jimmy was then thrust into managing the whole family business by continuing to go on the road for that summer. Jimmy did remember all the printing companies that worked with him and his father since 48. The Hatch Show Print Company in Nashville, the Inquirer Printing Company in Cincinnati, Southern Printing and Poster Company in Atlanta. They also bought from Triangle Poster Company in Pittsburgh. This is what led me on a hunt to find the printing company of this particular printing block. When I asked Jimmy if he recognized this wood print before, he couldn't say for sure. He guessed it was around the 1950s or 60s. We print so many uh, that I, I don't exactly know. After this call, Jimmy sent me a list of all those printing companies and artists who work for their shows. It was like Jimmy sent me on a scavenger hunt, where he had to cross off each lead on the list. The only two printing companies still in business were Hatch Show Prints and the Triangle Printing and Poster Company based in Pittsburgh. And Jimmy said, I should start with the latter. So I hope this was their block. Maybe the Triangle Poster Company had the original poster still around, and I could see what it looked like. 
that particular block, um, James H. Drew, uh, our company was doing his printing before I was born. This is Alan Rosenberg, the CEO of the Triangle Printing and Poster Company in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Before reaching out to Al, I went to their website and was referred to write to him from a colleague. I saw that his email was Posterman, so he must be the right guy to talk to. And Al also informed me that this block is called a plate, and the metal on top is an alloy of some sort. The magnesium, it it went cheaper. This is the metal surface that has the clown face and the James H. Drew words. And sometimes you can date these printing plates based on the material of the plate itself. And then the zinc was before that. And then uh, actually, even before all the metal plates, there were just plain wood carvings. And before that, which is really far back, it was all done on stone. And they would take the the plate you're looking at and all chisel it in hand in stone. You're going way back. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. This plate may not have been around when he was working there, but he was 75% sure that it was from the Triangle Poster Company. When I looked closer at my James H. Drew plate, looking at that smiling clown, I could see colorful residue in between the letters, like a dark purple, sprinkled in with flecks of red. As Al told me, this is not the ink that you see when printed on a poster, but something else. The colors would tell me what what was uh, placed on top of the etching to keep that from pitting or getting run down and old, and that's all that was for, but it tells me a time period. I actually collect a lot of these plates on wood, the smaller ones, and they all have a different color around the metal. But it's actually the best clue to tell us specifically when it was first printed. On the edges, if you saw like reddish, that plate would have been without magnesium and would have been a a much newer plate made. If you saw a little bit of gray, it would have been made back probably in the 40s, 50s, 60s, and if it was blue, it would be in the 70s. He said that most likely mine was zinc alloy on top from the late 60s to early 70s. A plate like this would be positioned on a flatbed, jostled into place by other pieces of wood. It would slide under rollers, like large kitchen rolling pins that are laced with the ink. And then the paper will come around and be printed on that block, and then that paper will go down to the return. So uh, that's how that would have been printed. What's more fascinating is that Al started working here because of his father. My father bought from Jake Shapiro. The Triangle Poster and Printing Company started in 1905 by the Shapiro brothers. And the story of the five competitive siblings is quite fascinating. Each Shapiro brother, after working for the Philadelphia Inquirer, opened their own printing businesses. There was one in Pittsburgh, Atlanta, Baltimore, Chicago, and there's one in St. Louis. And they were printing for certain celebrity clients in the 1920s. One was the famous fan dancer, Sally Rand. In 1946, Jake Shapiro was interviewed by a reporter in a Pennsylvanian gala. Mr. Shapiro actually started his own carnival business called The Triangle Shows after buying out the All-American Carnival when the owner quit. It makes sense for a printing mogul like Shapiro to have a carnival business with an endless supply of advertising. The name Triangle Poster Company actually came from the original Pittsburgh location. Its six-story building sat in the middle of the city where the three main rivers meet. In turn, the shape of a triangle emerges in the city center. 
and that created the Triangle trademark. The Triangle Printing and Poster Company was very successful during the early 20th century, printing almost 80% of American posters from 1915 to 1945, according to Mr. Shapiro in that newspaper. And most of them were catered to fairs, carnivals, and show people. But the family empire came to an end, and each sibling sold their businesses off. And the only one left from all the Shapiros is Triangle Poster and Printing. That's the only one left. <laughs> yeah, last man standing, huh? This purchase was in 1948, the same year that James H. Drew Exposition opened. And Al's dad bought the printing company and revived the business to what it is today. This transition was pivotal. When Al started working there in 1972, business had changed. Movie companies, bands, parks, they were all a staple for them. But over the years, these conglomerates got more demanding. When clients changed, so did the business. Movie companies would call us and say, do you still have this? I said, yeah. And he said, well, can you do this? I said, yeah, I can do whatever. You tell me what you want. I can do whatever you want. And you're yeah. saying you have to sign your life away for these things. But I really didn't care. Talking with Al Rosenberg and Jimmy Drew, two people who have continued the legacy of their parents, I realized how their businesses operate on other people's happiness. Printing posters and going on rides represent what each of their companies are about pure enjoyment. And this enjoyment is why people come back to see another poster for their favorite fair or go on that one ride that has always seemed too scary. Whether we talk about posters, rides, or games, they all come together like an interactive art exhibit. There are booths, performers, games, rides, and some of which, Jimmy said, were like art. Rides are like automobiles. They're like a collection but they're mm-hmm. elegant. They're like works of art. They're beautiful machines, you know? One draw that has made people come from all over the world to see the James Drew Fairground are the rides. Specifically, a model of the unique open-caged Seattle Ferris wheel. They only made two Seattle wheels built for the World's Fair. Everybody's planning to see Seattle's spectacular $100 million World's Fair. This 90-foot-tall American-made replica that he has shipped from city to city is based off the one from the Seattle World's Fair in 1962. Now back to this poster and plate. Whatever this poster was specifically is a bit of a mystery. It was most likely a small road sign or a flyer to advertise when the carnival was coming. And I can imagine driving by a sign that pops in color with the words, The Great James H. Drew, then peering over the hill, seeing the towering Ferris wheel and carnival tents. Al Rosenberg still remembers the times he went there. Did you ever go to their yep. carnival when when you were younger absolutely. or like as a kid or anything? Oh yeah, absolutely. I you know, I was just like any other young kid. I couldn't wait to get on the rides. You know, my dad would go, he would talk with the owner and they'd give me a pass and I'd go and ride all the rides. Really nice. They're nice people. They they're 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 sharp on what they do. But these nostalgic memories have come to a screeching halt. COVID has made outdoor industries like carnivals almost fall off the map not making enough money to sustain themselves. 
Well, we had 21 shows scheduled last year, and 20 were canceled. The only way we were able to keep our key people was with federal money. We went from our best year to almost no business in one year. In the 2010s, Drew's Exposition entertained nearly 2 million patrons per year, but that dropped quickly in 2020. When I talked with Al about it, he estimated that in 2019, there were 800 carnivals in the U.S., and by 2021, there were 400 left. The outdoor industry was the most hit of a virus than anybody else. It's a hard life. I mean, it's not easy, you know, being on the road. If the carnivals don't exist, then the advertising can't as well. It's an unfortunate business dilemma. But this printing plate is a reminder of those times when it was full of families and fun. I tried looking for pictures of this poster on the James H. Drew Exposition Facebook page, looking back at times when people were closer together at public events. They had a lot of vintage photos, but my poster was nowhere to be found. Al actually told me some places that may have the original prints, but all the leads ended up with no poster. I wanted to find the version of this James H. Drew clown print. I wanted to see this plate in its final printed form. The closest I came was when I found a James H. Drew advertisement in a 1976 newspaper, and the letters in the ad were the same ones from my plate, same placement and font, but still, no clown. My guess is since that was in a newspaper, they made their own plates, and they just made it to fit for their advertisement. But everything that was close is all they needed. Thankfully, Al gave a proposal if we couldn't find the poster. You know, if you wanted to send that back, I'll make you a print. So that's what we did. I sent him the plate and was waiting to see the result. What would it have looked like back in the 1960s? Al sent me some pictures of his process, and this is a video he sent when my plate was transferring under those large rollers onto the return. He shipped the plate back to me, a fresh batch of posters with five sheets of thin cardstock, bright red ink with the wavy words, The Great James Age Drew, and The Noseless Clown with a Toothful Smile. I sent Jimmy Drew one of the copies as well, returning a piece of their poster prosperity back to them. It is a work of art that I hope to hang on a wall next to this plate. There is art in the process of printing, and it can be just as amazing as the final print itself. There is also an artful craft of keeping up a moving carnival, from the staff to the rides and all the performers. And I'm glad this plate led me to the family stories of Jimmy Drew and Augusta and Al Rosenberg in Pittsburgh. This poster and plate do indeed represent fun, and it was just as fun to find their histories. Thank you so much to Jimmy Drew and Al Rosenberg for sharing their stories. Check out the Great James H. Drew Exposition at DrewExpo.com and go on some rides when you're down in Atlanta. Travel to the Triangle Poster and Printing Company's website at TrianglePoster.com. They have amazing customer service and their posters are fantastic. Additional thanks to Edward Kangelski, Becky Sparks, 
David Rivera, Joe Holden, Chris Godek, and Antiques Etc. This was an Anchor Distributed Podcast. Written, edited, scored, fact-checked, and mixed by me. The theme song is Behind the Walls by my great friend Nathany. Check out her amazing music on Spotify and Apple Music. She does solo stuff with the name Nathany and has a group called SZN. All other song and archival credits are in the description. Go to Apple Podcasts or iTunes and give us a rating. I do love feedback. It's what helps the show get better. You can also give us a donation. There is a PayPal donation button on our website, object-obscura.com. Anything helps us out to investigate more amazing stories in the future. We hope that we can travel to meet each person face-to-face in future episodes. Want to reach out to us? Well, send us a message on Facebook at Object Obscura Podcast, Instagram at object.obscura, and Twitter at Object Obscura. It can be about an object you want discussed on the show or about anything obscure. I will post all the pictures of this episode's object and the people you heard voices from on each platform. Next episode comes out in one week, September 10th. Here is a bite-sized clip of that sweet episode. It's kind of like an affordable drug of choice, I guess you could frame it that way. See you then.